0: Our guest for today's episode is my friend, Nicole Zazowski. Nicole is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and also the author of a new book called From Lost to Found, giving up what you think you want for what will set you free. I cannot wait for you to hear from her. Today, we're gonna be talking about how to trust God in the midst of big life transitions. Nicole tells us about a time in her life when everything she knew and counted on was flipped upside down. It was a huge season of transition that was then quickly followed by a series of major losses. In this episode, she's gonna share with us the things that helped her get through that time, that helped her trust God in the midst of it all, and she's gonna show us how we can navigate seasons of transition with faith too. Nicole has such amazing wisdom, I cannot wait for you to hear from her. But before we dive in, I wanted to make sure you'd heard my big news. I have a brand new prayer journal coming out next week on August 17th, and you guys, I am so excited about it. It's called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. Now here's the thing, we all find ourselves in between places throughout our lives, especially these days, right? Maybe you're waiting for something, longing for something, or working for something but it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe you know where you want to go but you have no clue how to get there, or maybe you know you're not where you want to be in life, but you don't know exactly what needs to change or how to change it and you don't know how to figure any of that out. Maybe you're trying to make a big decision and you have no idea which option to choose, Or. Maybe you're feeling like the whole world has turned upside down this year, taking your life, your plans, and any sense of security right along with it. And in all of it, you're trying to trust God with the future, but you're just not exactly sure how to practically do that and how to quiet the fear and anxiety all of this uncertainty has brought up in your heart. That's what The Between Places is here for. This beautiful 100-day prayer journal is a powerful, practical way for us to connect with God in times when our future feels really uncertain. Through guided prayer prompts, The Between Places will help you trust God with the trickiest, most uncertain, and most important parts of your life. It'll help you believe more fully than ever that God is good, that He loves you, and that He's taking care of you. It'll help you live today with more contentment, step into the future with more courage and faith, and rest in God's peace knowing that He's with you every step of the way. So starting on Monday, August 17th, you'll be able to pick up your copy of The Between Places in my shop. It's smaywilsonshop.com, and I cannot wait to share this with you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Nicole. Okay, friends, I'm so excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my friend, Nicole Zazowski. And I, Nicole, I'm just so glad that we get to connect today. I am so thrilled to be here, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So can you tell us, for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist. I am married to my best friend, Jimmy, um, and we have two little boys. One is four and a half, and one is almost nine months, and so blessed um, and grateful to, to be in those roles. I mostly do my therapy work in a private practice uh, right outside of New York City in Connecticut. And then four times a year, approximately, although COVID has uh, altered that a bit this year, I fly down to the um, Atlanta area and participate. I'm a therapist on staff at a marriage intensive program called The Hideaway Experience And it's four days, five couples, um, really, really challenging, but rewarding work. Um, And so in in addition to my writing and speaking, that's what I do. And a fun fact about myself, we get some cold winters in the Northeast, as you can imagine. And I am an iced coffee girl all year round. I just like my coffee iced. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yes. So it's not the most appealing thing when it's like, you know, 20 degrees with a 6 below wind chill factor. Um and I'm craving my iced coffee but I just
0: think it tastes better iced. I don't know why. That I mean, I can solidly relate to that. Although I will say that when it gets really <laughs> cold, I'll go hot. But I do I like iced coffee like just a lot better. Like an iced latte is is perfect for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way, and I don't know what it is.
1: You would think it would taste the same, but just hot versus cold, but it, I don't know why. It just tastes a lot better. It's kind of funny.
0: Interesting. Okay, I love knowing that. <laughs> um, so, Nicole, you actually just had a new book come out. Can you tell us just a little bit about it before we kind of dive in?
1: Absolutely. It's called From Lost to Found, um, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free, and it's, I describe it as a story that I would not have been brave enough to choose. But in God's graciousness, in his redemption and what felt ruined to me, he pried my fingers off of a life of comfort that I didn't know was sinking me, pried my fingers off of things that I thought I wanted and that I was substituting for Christ and gave me empty hands to receive more of him.
0: Mm. I have a book coming out, I guess it'll be next week when this comes out, um, which is crazy. But it's when you said it's a story that I wouldn't have been brave enough to choose. At the beginning of each section of the book, I tell a story of a between place in my own life. And I feel like that's the perfect summary of it. Like just Mm. where God did something bigger than like I was praying for something and God didn't give me what I was praying for. He gave me something better. And the process was was tricky and was rough, but ultimately gave me so much more in so many ways than I would have been given if I would have just gotten what I asked for.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I talk about in the first chapter how I used to think that the enemy only worked by making us miserable and attacking us in a really obvious way. And certainly, I, I think that is in his toolbox. But one of the ways through this story that I recognize that he works in my life is to make me comfortable without Christ. Mm. And I didn't realize that I was dreaming dreams that were too small. Um, In fact, I use a C.S. Lewis quote in that first chapter, we are far too easily pleased. And uh, I think I was pleased with a life that I could build with my two hands. I was very content to be self-reliant and not put myself in a position where I had to, to depend on Christ. I loved God. I had a good relationship with him, but I didn't realize that my peace and my joy and my sense of personal significance and security were invested in all of the wrong places.
0: So what happened? Like I I know that you, <laughs> you were stripped of a lot of things um in you know in the last couple of years and, and went through a big transition and stuff. Can you tell us like what that what that looked like?
1: Yeah. So it started with a move from California, which I jokingly refer to as a land of milk and honey.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I kind mean, of is we were living
1: in <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Especially in January. Um, so we were living in Pasadena, California, which is just like this gorgeous, I call it small town LA. It's um, where the father of the bride house is, and that just sort of if you picture that movie, that sort of captures the feel of of where we were living, although we were not living in that house or anything that resembled it. But it was just this idyllic life. I had just married my best friend. My career was going well. I was building a practice and I was sort of earning accolades in my graduate program and had a lot of confidence about the direction my life was going in. And then somewhat suddenly and surprisingly, um, Jimmy, my husband, uh, got a job opportunity in Connecticut, just outside of New York City, um, is where we moved to. And that was the beginning of, wait, I didn't orchestrate this. (laughs) Um, I felt a total loss of control. And it was really the beginning of a season that could be characterized by change and loss. Um, Certainly in that season, I lost a lot of tangible things, community, my job. It was the beginning simultaneously of a season where Jimmy and I walked through infertility, which included five miscarriages and a diagnosis um, that there's no solve for that makes that pretty likely when we get pregnant. And so it was, certainly I lost tangible things, but more than that, Stephanie, I lost performance working for me, my own perfectionism working for me, my sense of control, all those things that I sort of had a foothold on um, that had always kind of made it okay. Like I can work hard enough to make, to get what I want. I can perform well and win people over and earn the praise that I crave. I can use my own grit to sort of make the life I want happen for myself. And I just confronted circumstance after circumstance and again, this is God's grace, is what I see it as now, that I couldn't change and I I realized I needed a different
0: way. Um there's thank you for sharing that and I'm so sorry for for I mean, I'm I'm glad for so much of what you went through. I'm really, really sorry, specifically for the miscarriage part. Thank you, friend. There, I don't know if you've read um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. It's really, really good. Um, But she tells kind of her whole life story in it. And I was reading Mm -hmm. it as Carl and I were in the midst of, you know, our long fertility, infertility journey. And there's a part where she talks about Um, them trying to get pregnant. And she's like, we're both high achieving, like, you know, Mm. get it done, like planner kind of people. I mean, it's, it's Michelle and Barack Obama. Of course they are. And she's like, and then we, we try to get pregnant and we cannot make it happen. Like no matter how much we controlled things, we could not control this. And she was like for two high achieving control freaks, finding out that there's something that you do not like that you cannot make happen is so humbling. Um, and I, mm-hmm. her saying that was like so helpful for me right in that moment. Cause I'm like, yeah, I, I you know, there's so many things that we can kind of make happen in our lives. And it's really, really hard when you come across something where no matter how much grit you have, no matter how hard you work, like you just cannot control this.
1: Yeah. I was just so, yeah, I was so it, good hearing
0: that. I th-
1: Yes. I, as you were talking, I, I'm remembering that I think the biggest thing that it did for me was helping me understand that the gifts in this life are a result of God's good grace, not my own goodness or grit. Mm -hmm. And I, I really resonated with what you're saying, because we we want to believe that our own gifts and talents and our own hard work, and those are good things. But when, we, when they give us a false sense of control or that we are, it's a strong word, but I'll use it for myself, that we are somehow entitled to good things because we've earned it, um, which is definitely where I found myself in my story. And God just gave me a really gentle, but consistent reminder that the good things in this life are because of my grace and goodness and not because of your own.
0: So you were, you were in a new place, you were in Connecticut, kind of rebuilding your life. What did that look like? It was messy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, it looked like, uh, me trying again, all the things that I had worked for me in Pasadena and my entire life, even childhood leading up to that. If I'm honest, I still wanted to trust my own performance, my own hard work. Um, I wanted to control and shape the life that I thought I wanted. Um, I just thought I was starting over. At that point, that was... That was the pain is having to do the same thing I did all over again, but by God's blessing, it did not work. I, um, there's some hilarious accounts in the book of me trying to impress people and that falling very flat. I was just in a totally new place where what I brought to the table wasn't what people were looking for and wasn't what people found impressive. And that was really painful for me. Um, But there's a difference I learned between feeling that pain and having that be very real and understanding that other people don't get to decide my value. And it was an invitation to be obedient to God's call instead of, you know, and and put my confidence in his call instead of the praise of other people.
0: So what did that, what did that shift look like? Like, how did you go from, okay, I'm trying all my old tricks. They are not working to mm-hmm. like trying something different? Well, I had a choice. I'm thinking particularly
1: with my um my career
0: as your as
1: you were talking, that story came to mind. i I, I just I had this choice of was I going to Give up because the one thing I felt confident in was that God was calling me to be a marriage and family therapist. I did feel confident in that. I didn't have the confidence of anybody else. I didn't have, like, no one was impressed with my resume. No one was impressed by looking at me and thinking that I had anything to say to anyone um, based on my experience. And so I just had to make a decision do I continue to fight for the approval of others? Do I continue to ask for human permission to run on God's mission? Or do I believe the voice that I hear him speaking to me, not audibly, but, but in my prayer life um, and other discernment? And am I willing to sacrifice all of that on the altar of other people's belief in me? And thankfully, I answered that question, no. I think it also, I'm in, in thinking about our fertility journey, I think I had such a vision for what my family would look like and when it would look like and how fast it would look like. <laughs> and um, again, with that control. And I think, Stephanie, the, the best summary I have for that is, I was holding so tight to my own vision that I could not see or appreciate God's provision. Even when it passed right in front of me, I saw it as no good. I was confused by it. I couldn't appreciate it. And then finally, when those other things failed, it kind of loosened my grip on my own vision. And I thought, oh, what if God's provision is actually really wonderful? what if it's what if what he has for me is the thing that's going to grow me and the thing that's going to help me understand him and could be really really like opening a a surprise gift that wasn't on your wish list but is better than you could ever imagine that's where i found myself eventually i
0: love that i feel like I feel like I'm looking in a mirror a little bit or like reading my own journal, like truly, (laughs) because I think there's so many, there really are so many times when we have an idea of how things are going to go. I mean, uh, like I I can't even like begin to list the number of times, you know, but, and and there, a lot of times there is a moment of like, you, you try and you try and you try to make things look like you think they should. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're wondering why God isn't like giving you what you want. And then finally there's uh-huh. sort of this giving up moment where you go, okay, like I'm totally out of ideas. What I'm trying isn't working. Let's try this your way. And every time I've I've opened that part of my heart or my plans or my future or my life up to God, what he's done instead is so much better. Just all around uh-huh. so much better. So what is what did that look like for you? Like when you finally stopped trying to you know, craft your own life there in Connecticut. What did he, like, what did he have for you in these different parts of your story? And I know that some of them are probably, I mean, they're always still playing out, you know, but.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think the 30,000 foot view over all of those circumstances was this idea of hope and godly expectancy. And what I mean by that is not... I think expectation, that word sometimes feels like a demand. And where I think there's a difference is I had an anticipation of what God could do, even if I couldn't imagine what it looked like, versus I have an expectation of what this is going to look like. And my ideas about the goodness of God hinge on a certain outcome. And I think what it did is opened my imagination about what God could do versus my disappointment about what he wasn't doing. And I, I, like you said, this is ongoing for me. I have a very complicated relationship with hope to, to the point where sometimes I can't even find it at all, but I'm learning that hope is less about what I muster up within myself And more about trusting that what I have in my own two hands is not all there is. And even if I can just imagine what that looks like, that what what I have access to in my own human limitations is not all I actually have access to, if we've put our trust in Jesus, then gosh, that changes the trajectory of what could happen versus what hasn't happened.
0: That makes sense. I love that, that sort of like redefining of hope that it's not, you're not hoping for a specific thing. And and I love how you said that, that like our belief that God is good hinges on this certain outcome, but it's hope that it's hope in God and like what mm-hmm. he knowing that he can do all kinds of things and and there's something so exciting to that like the imagination of it like you said there's it's just that's just a really interesting and really important flip you know yeah and i think i think also
1: realizing along those lines is that you know hope always doesn't always lead us to the answer that we are praying for as we've talked about But it does always lead us to the person and presence of Jesus. And that will not disappoint. And so knowing that, because sometimes I think we think that we feel like, at least I do, that hope feels like an avenue of disappointment. Um, If I open myself up to hope, then I'm going to hurt that much more if it doesn't happen. But remembering that it's actually... An open channel to our creator and the one who loves us and wants what's good and is our comforter and so much more. I think that's a helpful paradigm for me to hold on to as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, what happened like in your story specifically when you decided that you weren't going to wait for people's permission to pursue your career? Like, what happened there? And I know you said you have two beautiful kids. Can you tell us like kind of how that part of your story unfolded too?
1: Yeah. Well, um, career-wise, I just kept putting myself out there and that looked like a windier journey um, than I had planned on. I I moved from a private practice in California and had goals of being in that setting here as well in Connecticut. And um, that's just a really hard thing to do, period, to build a private practice. But when you have not even any uh, social or personal context. There's, you know, no referral sources at all. It's a, it's a slow build. So I did end up. I was blessed to get a job um, in a group private practice that we certainly saw people of all faith backgrounds and um, all different faith walks. Um, but the the practice itself, we as clinicians were faith based. So but but I had to slowly build there. So then I worked for free <laughs> at a local clinic um which was a whole blessing unanticipated. God taught me so much in that job. And again, I wouldn't I never would have pursued that job on my own, but he had so much for me there. And then I worked part-time um at J Crew. <laughs> um Which (laughs) had its own, and that's where the vision and provision thing really became real for me because I worked with some amazingly talented people there, like the top five salespeople in the country that were just really wonderful. Like I wanted them to dress me every day, just really talented. So this is not about like saying I'm above retail at all. Um, But it was not a match for my skill set. And yet God was doing so much in that job in my own heart and ministry wise. And I wasn't willing to see it because it wasn't a therapy job. And finally, I just had to receive the provision he had for me. And my eyes were opened big time to, and and I write a pretty funny story in the book about, about a situation there but it was messy. It wasn't what I would have written for myself, but it introduced me to God in a different way. It formed a more intimate relationship between the two of us. It strengthened Jimmy and I's marriage in a really important way before we entered that season of infertility. And so I'm, I look back and I feel nothing but gratitude. Fertility-wise, I know you asked about that, i i i got to this place where i said lord i would love a family how you build that i i am open to however you build that um, we were looking pretty seriously at adoption before actually both our boys and i don't want that to to at all i want to be really clear for anyone listening we still feel passionate about adoption and think that that's you know, we need to pray more, but think that that could be in our future, um, potentially. Um, So adoption is not, was never a consolation prize for us. Um, It was never, you know, a second thing. It was something we always felt passionate about even prior to our fertility um, journey. But we just the timing, our, our boys are further apart than we planned. Um, lots of loss before each of them, um, exploring adoption before each of them. James, my oldest came to us through some help with fertility treatment. Charlie, my second came all on his own. So they, they've just come to us differently and not at all how we expected. With a, but, but through a lot of prayer, and I'm confident however they come to us, it's, it's God doing that matching and, and it's his provision. So it's been really, it's been hard and it's been the most, I could cry talking about it. It's been the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced.
0: I feel like I just want to like sit here for a second. <laughs> Mm, I, love that. I wish I was sitting in with you in person I'm <laughs> sitting in my closet so it's not that fancy but <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'd crawl in there with you I love that <laughs> I love that
0: shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples friends springtime is finally here but that also means allergy season is in full swing Use as directed. Clariton, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash friendship. One thing I, I'm, I'm so glad that you told both of those stories. And I'm really, really glad that you told the one about like all of the steps along the way in your career, because I think that a lot of times we feel like there's something, like God has something for us, or like there's something that's just like burning on our heart. We're like, I want to do this. I want to do this thing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we've gotten to the point where we're pursuing it regardless of who says it's a bad idea. <laughs> um, cause there are always people along mm-hmm. the way that say, like, are you sure that's not a real job? Um, or that's mm-hmm. not a good idea. Or are you sure you're cut out for that? But then, you know, I think that a lot of times when we apply for something and get rejected, or when it doesn't happen the first or second time, we take that as a door closing. And I, I don't think that that's what it is. I mean, that that might be a door closing, but it doesn't mean that that's the end. It doesn't mean that you heard wrong or that um you're not cut out for this. My, oh gosh, so much of what I do today started because I took a uh, part-time unpaid internship right after I graduated from college and waited tables on the side. Actually, I didn't even wait tables. I was the hostess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And Right. laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it's, I love that you said, you know, I worked for free and I, um, you know, worked at J. Crew, and I, you know, did all these, like took all these opportunities along the way. But I've seen in all of the in like looking back on on my sort of career path so far especially in the times where it felt like we were like swerving off the road like we had deviated from the plan a long time ago mm-hmm. those were the moments when god was really leading me to something that i like just had to kind of open my eyes to find i was telling someone about this recently but i started blogging because i did a a long humanitarian trip And they asked us to keep a blog and it had never occurred to me ever to keep a personal blog. But that little moment of them saying, I mean, it was for like marketing purposes on their end, you know, they're like, please keep a blog and talk about your experiences. And by the way, this is mandatory to which most people kind of roll their eyes, but I'm kind of a rule follower. So I'm like, okay, like I will do this. And that turned into this whole thing that I just, that little opportunity changed mm-hmm. everything in my entire life. And I just,
1: that's amazing. I, like I
0: I never would have planned it that way. I never would have seen that coming. Um, and so just as an encouragement for anyone who's feeling like they're walking down a road and doors keep slamming in their face, or the only thing that's available to them looks like it's a like the least attractive option ever, or it's for free, or it's mm-hmm. totally off what they think their path is. God can use those things. And he I would say always does. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely,
0: no. What feels
1: um, what feels ruined in our mind, he weaves his redemption into. I think there's always an invitation in what's been canceled, and I think often there's there's protection in rejection that sometimes we that we may never know why we didn't get a certain thing or certain opportunity or certain job or why something didn't work out the way we thought it would. But just trusting that we're looking at a puzzle piece um, and and God has the whole puzzle. Sometimes that image helps me a lot as much as I wish I could see the whole puzzle sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you talk about several things in your book that I just want to ask you about, because they are um, such important ideas and mindset shifts and um, things that I, I know are so helpful for us to hold on to in the midst of times like this where we're we're trying to navigate what's next and we're not really sure and everything looks messy. Um, and so one of the ones I wanted to ask you about is um, you talk about working from our significance instead of for our significance. I would love for you to just kind of talk us through like what that means and how we actually put that into practice in our lives.
1: Absolutely. That's been an important concept for me and a crucial paradigm shift. I think growing up when you're a performer, and what I mean by that is when you are used to using your own performance as a way of solving your feelings of inadequacy or inferiority or not feeling not good enough, you're only ever as good as your last performance. And so you are always using your performance and your achievements and other people's praise as validation of your value. So you sort of start from uh, you know ground zero and then perform well enough or earn enough praise or achieve a certain goal. Um, realize a certain dream to attain your value. That's sort of the paradigm, um, that comes with that performance mentality. And that's unknowingly how I lived my whole life. And so when I performed well, you would think that I felt a lot of peace, but I was really just worried about staying on the pedestal I had put myself on mm-hmm. <laughs> through that performance. And of course, when I didn't perform well, I had something that much more to prove the next time and I felt worthless. And so my identity was really just on this roller coaster of highs and lows, depending on how I performed. I think in God's economy, I know in God's economy, we start from hundred percent and we get to express our gifts from that, from that significance. He has already named us significant. He has named us worthy. He has paid a price to prove our worth already um, on the cross. And so we can either receive that or not. And when we do receive it, we get to use the gifts he's given us from that place of significance and not to prove something or not to Uh, not for our significance that we're already all filled up and nothing we do or don't do is going to take that away.
0: I love that. There's so much freedom in that. And, and even more like I'm picturing a little kid getting up on stage and singing a song and they're singing that song to Gain the approval of their parents and, and mm. how, how much fear would you walk up on stage with? How, like, how can you sing when your heart is so choked with, with fear and expectation and pressure, you know? Whereas like, if you get up on that stage and you know that you could like pee your pants right then and there and your parents would be endlessly <laughs> proud of you no matter what, like, you can really let a rip. You can really Like sing your full song out, like out loud with your whole heart when you know that no matter how you perform, you're going to be loved either way. And so it's just really cool that not only is that such a free, like freer way of living, but it allows our gifts to be expressed so much better that way because they're not choked with fear. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful articulation of it. It frees us up. To know that our value isn't based on the outcome, and so we get to use our gifts for the glory of God and and to bless other people, and to I mean, what a gift it is to utilize what He's given us, knowing that our our identity is protected from what happens with them.
0: That's so good. That's so good. There's so many. Gosh, there's so many things that, from your book that I want to ask you about. Another one though is, I know that in this season specifically so many of us feel like our worlds have been turned upside down. Like, not Mm. only are we dealing with just the normal things of being a 20 or 30-something woman, like, there's so much transition that happens in our lives in the span of those two decades. But add in all of the other things that are going on in our world, and I, you know, so many of us that thought we had job security feel no security, and so many of us Mm -hmm. who knew what our next steps were like our next steps have been totally wiped out from under us. And so when our worlds have been turned upside down, I guess two kind of two parts to this. One, how do we feel safe in a world that is so shaky? And then if we if our worlds have been turned upside down recently, how do we start over? Mm,
1: those are such great questions. As a therapist, I practice restoration therapy, which is the particular model that I use. Um, And I use it in my own life as well, because I don't like to ask clients to do things I wouldn't do myself. And there's sort of three footholds, I call them, that have been really helpful for me in terms of feeling secure in an unsafe world. Just to back up a little bit, pain comes from two different directions. One is more of an I- identity pain, which we just talked about with performance and feeling worthy and good enough and, you know, adequate and, and significant. And then the other pain is just the pain of feeling unsafe. And obviously there's thousands of feelings in both of those buckets. But the the truth about safety is hard because as we're all discovering For the first time or being reminded of in the year 2020, life isn't always safe. And so it's hard to say you're safe, you're safe, when sometimes, you know, we're not um, because life is messy and imperfect. And so feeling secure in an unsafe world, there's three truths that we can cling to in the midst of that. Um, The first is we are not alone. If we have to walk through this storm, we are not alone. I think all of us can identify, even if you live by yourself, even if you are not married or have children, most of us can identify friends or community that can walk through painful things with us. If you've put your trust in Jesus, of course, you have the comfort of the Holy Spirit with you at all times. And just being able to recognize that that doesn't fix the pain but it does change the pain. So that's one. The second one would be that if we have to go through something we're not we're not calling it good. But if we have to go through something what is the goodness and growth that might come from it? How how is God weaving his redemption into what feels wrecked? what What growth has he done in my own heart that may not have happened otherwise? how How has this situation held up the mirror to some wounds I've been dealing with a long time and are just now being exposed. and And this one takes some time. So I would say, in the middle of the storm in the thick of it is probably not the best time to answer this question., um, but keep it in your back pocket to kind of continually pull out even after the storm feels over in some way to, to be able to pick up the treasure in the wake of what's been broken and lost in your life. And then the third thing is certainly we are not all powerful. We cannot control the universe. We can't eradicate pain from our lives. But God has given us agency. Uh, We are not totally powerless either. We can make choices that can keep ourselves more safe. Um, And I don't just mean physical safety, but he's given us choices around who and when we're vulnerable with. Um, He's given us choice around discerning the next right thing to do in the situation, even if we don't have the full picture. He's given us access to himself and making choices around, you know, engaging with his word and engaging in prayer um, and with wise counsel that we trust in our lives. Um, And so just being able to, I will have, and I do this myself sometimes, I will have clients write two circles on a piece of paper and literally put everything they would love to control, but can't in one circle and all of the things that they are empowered to do in the other circle. It is amazing to me how much time I spend worrying about stuff I cannot control versus investing in stuff I actually have agency over. And I get called out on that through that exercise all the time. (laughs) Um, But those are the three things that help us feel secure in an unsafe world.
0: Those are so helpful. Those are so, so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing those. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, they've been helpful for me. And I can't even imagine like what we could uh, get done if we focused on the things we can control a little bit more, you know, like it just, I mean, I know that the things that we can't are so, consuming but there you're right there really is so much that we actually can do in so many circumstances and so that's just such a i don't know it's just such a, a more like fruitful place to put our our time and our energy if you know as much yes. as we can
1: absolutely and i i actually think there's so many definitions and reasons for anxiety But that's, that's a big one that I see with myself and with the people that I work with is putting your energy and time and mental space um, and focusing on the things you can't control versus the things that you can.
0: Yeah. I find that um, anxiety is definitely a a part of my life. It's something I struggle with. And Mm -hmm. I find that like, I need something to do. Like I, I need something mm-hmm. productive. I need something, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a place to put my time and my effort and my focus. And and so knowing like you can't fix this over here, but this over here you actually can do something about. And so it just mm-hmm. it like gives me an outlet for some of the for some of my worry. You know, mm, I'm and so glad. It's yeah, it's super super helpful. Um, I want to circle back to the question about like rebuilding when you feel like your life is sort of, you know, fallen apart or when you feel like you're sort of starting over. But I want to ask you one more thing before we get there. One of the things that you talk about, I know, is honoring our feelings without letting them control us. And I—that's just something I don't yes. want to skip over. So, how do we, how do we do that? How do we honor our feelings? Yeah. without letting them control us.
1: No, it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about and and talking about with other people, because I think our culture has led us down this path of thinking that our feelings are the most real part about us. Um, it's the re- most real aspect. Of us. And I don't want to say that feelings don't matter. They actually matter a great deal. They are real. They are often valid. When I hear someone's story, it's not at all surprising to me um, often that they feel very specific things and have every right to feel those things. And so they provide really important clues about maybe relationships and events in our lives that could use some attention and and healing work. Um, So they are really important. But they do not always tell us the truth about uh, who we are, our significance, and our, our safety. And this is important because we do need to honor them and listen to them and give them a voice. But reacting to our feelings will lead us to, will not lead us to the peace that we long for in our relationships with ourselves and other people. Um, And so being able to to say that this is what I feel and this is what I know to be true, even if I don't believe it, this is what I know and I'm going to act on what I know instead of react to how I feel. If, if we can train our hearts and minds to do that, um, we'll be able to connect so much better with our, our own heart, with other people, and, and with God.
0: Yeah, yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking this is one of the—I don't want to say biggest because— I don't know, then I feel like I'd have to rank them in the proper order. But I mean, this feels like one <laughs> of the biggest reasons that reading Scripture is so important. And not just reading it, but yes. like writing it on our heart, because mm-hmm. we have to know what's true. Otherwise, we're going to be kind of tossed about by our feelings. And so if, but if we don't know what God says is true, like we don't have anything to, to compare them to.
1: Exactly, exactly. We're sort of at the mercy of our circumstances and what happens to us on a given day. I write about it in the book in, in a chapter called A Total Eclipse, and it was the day of the eclipse. And you knew the sun was there, you knew that it was not um, gone, you knew that it was still bright. Um, but it was being eclipsed by something else. And so even when your feelings feel like they're eclipsing it, the truth, being able to trust that the truth is not moving, it is not less true than it was before. And we can put our weight on that is a really, really helpful skill in marriage, in parenting, in friendship, and even in our relationship with ourselves. Mm.
0: I love that. That's been so helpful for me. I remember the, the first time a girlfriend told me that uh, she was like, Stephanie, you know, your feelings aren't always true. Right. And I was like, what <laughs> come again? Wait, what? But it's so it's so helpful. And it's and it's helpful to know that our feelings matter and our feelings are pointing to things um, and our feelings like have have value. They're not something to stuff down or wipe away or discount, but we can feel unloved while still knowing that we are loved. And I feel like the way mm-hmm. out of feeling unloved is reminding yourself that no matter how you feel in this moment, that person, that friend, your spouse, or the Lord loves you and and nothing you can do mm-hmm. can change that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, and that you're
1: lovable, even if Even if the worst happened and somebody decided they didn't love you anymore, that does not change how lovable you are. I feel like that's a word for someone.
0: I feel like someone Mm -hmm. needed to hear that. I hope so. So Nicole, if we are in a place where our plans have kind of fallen apart, we're going through a big transition, how do we rebuild and how do we do so while holding on to God as like our like, well, keeping our focus on him, keeping our eye on him, having him be our anchor in the midst of a of life in a season of life that feels super stormy.
1: Yeah, I always come back to the the story of um, Jesus calming the storm uh, with his disciples when they're in the the small boat um, and the storm is raging, and you know he's sleeping. <laughs> And he, he sort of wakes up and he has this tone, like, what are you so afraid of? And I always feel a little defensive of the disciples, like, well, being in a huge storm in a tiny boat with a sleeping savior seems like cause for anxiety to me, yes. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I can't say I would react differently. But Jesus, of course, had a vision that that they didn't at the time which is our hope is not in the calm storm. Our hope is in the one who can calm them. And I I think putting our, having God as our anchor instead of a certain outcome to a certain situation, I feel like that is our hope because you're not putting your hope in something that may or may not happen. Your hope is leading you to the person and presence of Jesus. And we are promised that that's not gonna disappoint. We might feel disappointed in this situation and God promises that we can talk to him about that. And he wants to hear about that, our honest feelings about that. But our peace and joy are not on the far side of a storm being calmed in our lives, unless we wanna wait for the next one to take us down which I lived that pattern for a long time and it was pretty unfulfilling. But but trusting that God being our anchor and our hands being are being taken off things that are false securities, that are places of misplaced hope, um, that are shallow identities, life is gonna take our fingers off of that when those things disappoint us and that's going to give us empty hands to receive the only thing that's sure, which is a relationship with God.
0: Yeah. Nicole, do you have any last pieces of encouragement for anyone who's just like in the thick of it right now?
1: Mm. First of all, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know what that particular brand of thick of it looks like for you as the listener. I can only imagine the stories represented on the other side of this conversation. What I would say broadly to whatever the situation is is that slower is faster and when it comes to our healing, give yourself permission to feel those feelings, to steward them well, to take them to take them to the Lord to to understand that they are real. Um, But do not say the truth. Do not have the final word on what's true about who you are or what's true about your situation or relationship. And when we rush past that healing process, we usually wind up picking it up down the road. And so that's what I mean by slower is faster is take the time you need at each stage because this is tough stuff. Um, without knowing the details of everyone's stories, I know that none of us are immune to pain. And being able to walk that to God and and process that honestly takes time and cannot be rushed. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Thank, thank you so much for having me. This was a really, really special conversation for me. Thank you, Stephanie.
0: Friends, that was our last episode of season nine. I feel like the season totally flew by, right? But I want to let you know that we will be back in just a few weeks for season 10. And I'm so excited for the episodes we have in store. Before we go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. And it'll also let you know the second we're back for season 10. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' night. So would you do me a huge favor and take just one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you to all of you who have left those beautiful five-star reviews already. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. All right, friends, thank you so much again for listening to this episode and for listening to season nine of the Girls' Night podcast. And I will see you in just a few short weeks for Girls' Night season 10.